From Washington, this is CQ on Congress, the nonpartisan source for in-depth analysis of Capitol Hill's policy debates. I am Sean Zeller. This week's CQ Magazine cover story looks at what it would take to transform the nearly one-fifth of the U.S. economy that is the healthcare sector. That's the proposal from progressive Democrats in Congress and on the presidential campaign trail. They want Medicare for all. CQ healthcare reporter Mary Ellen McIntyre examines what it would take and the political challenges in getting there. And she's here today to tell us about it. Welcome, Mel. Hey, Sean. Good to see you. So, Mel, it hasn't even been a decade since Democrats, then in control of Congress and with Barack Obama in the White House, won a very hard-fought victory in getting the Affordable Care Act passed. Why are they so quick to broaden their sights and want to return to the health care issue? I mean, did we ever stop talking about the health care issue? I think there's a couple reasons here. The first is that after Democrats passed the Affordable Care Act, they lost the House of Representatives in 2010. And then after they lost the Senate, they never got to go in and do a lot of the fixes that lawmakers had envisioned doing. And as they sort of saw how the law was implemented, go in and do updates. So that was something that they had always planned to do and never got to do. And then as well, while the Affordable Care Act lowered the uninsurance rate to the lowest point in American history, there's still almost 29 million people in the U.S. who don't have health insurance. And that's a really troubling number for pretty much all Democrats who want to see universal health care coverage. That's still sort of their ultimate goal. So I think that's why we've still really seen this shift to Medicare for all. Okay. So who are those 29 million and why don't they have health care? Because the Affordable Care Act, at least initially, required that everyone buy health care, right? Right. So there's a couple of things that happened. Several years ago, the Supreme Court ruled that the Medicaid expansion under the Affordable Care Act, that was going to be optional for states. So a chunk of states, mostly Democratic states, implemented that at first. And we've slowly seen more states every year sort of expanding Medicaid eligibility. But there's a chunk of people who live in states that don't um, have an expanded Medicaid that often don't have health insurance because they don't qualify for subsidies under the Affordable Care Act. So they're still you know, really struggling to afford that insurance. And particularly now that they don't have to buy insurance without the um, penalty for not having insurance after the Republicans repealed that in the tax law, you're seeing a fewer and more people not buying health insurance. Yeah. And I saw the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, which is a left-leaning think tank here in Washington, put out a report this week that said that in the individual market, in the Obamacare exchanges, there's also a surprisingly low take-up rate from people who aren't getting tax credits under the law and therefore can't afford it. But even people under it who are getting tax credits that were supposed to make it affordable, they're not buying insurance plans because it's either still not affordable or they just aren't doing it. Yeah. And the affordability issue is really a key issue here and why Democrats are still talking about this. Um, the plans that are sold on the exchanges are really expensive, particularly if you don't have that tax credit to help with your monthly premium. Which goes up to like 400 percent of the poverty level. The yeah. Tax and credits. it's incremental, too. So if you make it phases out over exactly. over the time. Exactly. But if you don't qualify for one of those tax credits and you don't get health insurance from your employer, that plan is going to be really expensive. And depending on your personal situation, you might decide that that's money that you don't want to spend on an insurance plan, and particularly now that you're not going to face another penalty. But even when the penalty was in place, that was often 
less money for someone to pay than to pay for their monthly premiums every month. Gotcha. And so why do the progressives want this transformative approach, Medicare for all, which would, under some formulations, eliminate all private health insurance? Why is that preferable in their minds to just shoring up Obamacare? Yeah. So the thing with this is that Democrats are really torn over this. Medicare for all has come to mean a lot of different health care plans. But sort of what we looked at in the story is this idea of a single payer plan, which is sort of what the most progressive Democrats are pushing for. And it's the single payer being the government. Yes, the single payer being the government. And it's really like you were saying, a total transformation of the healthcare system. The government would be the only insurance provider. Everyone in the country would be under that plan. It would change how hospitals are paid for their services. Um, it would require pharmaceutical companies to negotiate prices. So this would be a huge lift politically and logistically. Um, but, and it would it would be much more generous, in fact, than Medicare actually is, which oh, doesn't totally. cover everything. A lot of people on Medicare buy supplemental plans, private plans now to get better coverage. But the Medicare for all that the progressives, many of the progressives are envisioning would cover everything that's medically necessary. Yes, everything that's medically necessary. So you make the good point. Medicare today doesn't cover things like vision and dental insurance. It doesn't cover long-term care, which obviously a lot of seniors need as they get older. So this plan would cover everything. It'd cover mental health services. If a doctor said it was me medically necessary, it would be covered. This whole idea of why this is preferable to shoring up Obamacare is really torn. You have plenty of Democrats who would say, let's stick with what we have. Let's keep building on Obamacare. We're not going to reach universal health care coverage. But for a lot of progressives, the idea is not only a whole transformation of health insurance, but it's to take corporations and sort of that profit um, driven goal out of the, the middleman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're listening to CQ on Congress. You can find this podcast at rollcall.com or your favorite podcast app. I'm talking today with Mary Ellen McIntyre about her CQ magazine cover story on Medicare for All. Okay, Mary Ellen, back to you. What are the politics of this? Where does the public stand? The politics of this are very confusing, and I think we've got a long way to go before we totally figure it out. Um, Medicare for All, as a broad idea, pulls very well across the country, across political groups, super high with Democrats, but even pretty high numbers with Republicans and independents as well. The idea where it gets a little bit more complicated and nuanced is when you look at things like how Medicare for all would raise taxes or how it would eliminate private insurance companies and then support really, really dips. And this is something that we're still really seeing how it plays out on the campaign trail. People are, you know, starting to say what types of policies or, you know, say, I want to get to single payer, but we want to start with a more incremental plan like a public option where the government would offer a t nonprofit health plan on the exchanges. So we're really still figuring out how exactly this would play out. That public option was part of the discussion back in 2009 and 10 surrounding Obamacare. And the Democrats ended up not including a, a public health insurance <laughs> plan within those exchanges that the law created because they couldn't do it. The Democrats weren't enough. Democrats wouldn't vote for it. Right. And that's one of, I think, the craziest things to Democrats who, you know, worked on the Affordable Care Act a decade ago. And now today they're saying the public option was such this like progressive thing that we couldn't get past. And now it's really the status quo for a lot of people who are like, OK, that's sort of the opening salvo on healthcare now. So what would it take to get Medicare for all passed into law? So this was actually really interesting. I talked to several political scientists about this question, and a lot of people said that they expected that there would need to be sort of a grassroots movement, like political movement, 
that we really haven't seen on healthcare before. Somebody um, compared it to like a Reagan-esque movement where the Democratic Party would have to really move to the left um, of where it is now. You know, you would obviously need a lot more progressives in Congress, particularly in the Senate, um, to pass this, even to get 51 votes um, to pass this under budget reconciliation. So you'd really need to see a big transformation of the Democratic Party on where it stands on health care. Right. I mean, normally in the Senate, you need 60 votes, but you point out the budget reconciliation process, which Democrats used to pass Obamacare and Republicans used most recently to pass their tax law, only requires a majority. Yes. And so that would be the method. It would be full Democratic control of government. It would be enough Democrats um, who support Medicare for all to get majorities in the House and Senate and a president who'd sign it. Right. And of course, there's always questions with budget reconciliation about what exactly you can do. But that's most people seem to think you can pass Medicare for all under budget reconciliation. One thing to note is that 51 senators to vote for this is a pretty big reach. Last year, or in 2017, when Bernie Sanders introduced his single-payer bill after um, running on this idea in 2016, there were 16 or 17 senators that joined him in co-sponsoring it. So this is not necessarily close to that number yet. <laughs> right. And so let's say hypothetically, though, that it were to happen. How would we transition from a system where most people are on private insurance plans to a purely government-run system? So there'd be a lot of things that would have to happen. And one of the most challenging parts would be that the insurance and the whole healthcare industry is pretty much universally opposed to a single-payer healthcare system. The hospitals, the health insurance plans, the doctors. Yes, they are all joined together on this, which is not something you see very often in healthcare politics in opposition. Um, So you would need to get buy-in. They would all face a lot of hurdles. But the actual act of enrolling people in the plan, I found interesting. A lot of people don't think that's going to be that big of a challenge. Um, They point to when the Medicare program itself was passed in the 1960s, enrolling people. If people don't enroll on their own, it's the kind of thing that once they went to a doctor's office, they could easily be enrolled. So that, interestingly enough, a lot of advocates said they didn't actually see as that big of a challenge. Okay. Your story notes that 1 million to 2 million people work in the private health care system, according to various estimates. They would lose their jobs. What are Democrats' plans for helping them? Right. These are people who work in the insurance industry or other affiliated industries. Democrats do have a plan. So under the bill from Representative Pramila Jayapal, she's a Democrat from Washington state, and she's the lead sponsor of the House single-payer bill. She introduced that earlier this year. Her plan would create a national health care budget to fund this entire program. And about 1% of that she would promote, dedicate for five years, I believe it is, to helping people who work in the insurance industry transition into new jobs. So that would go to things like job training, education, retirement plans, some sort of thing to help those people transition out of this. The other thing is that obviously this type of plan would create a new government system that has to do many of these similar jobs. So it wouldn't necessarily be surprising if you saw some chunk of that Um, industry go into working for this type of system. Right. Let's stop here and take a reality check. I mean, we've we've been talking about Medicare for all, the progressives preferred uh, step, next step in our healthcare system. But Democratic leaders in Congress have not embraced it, such as Nancy Pelosi of California, uh, Chuck Schumer in the Senate, the the New York senator. And instead, those people, the leaders, this week got behind draft legislation that would, in fact, try to shore up Obamacare. 
And they touted it as their response to the announcement also this week from President Trump's Justice Department that Trump wants the federal courts to strike down the 2010 law. Mm -hmm. So this proposal to shore up Obamacare, what would it do? Yeah. So you noted the administration sort of rocked the political world on Monday night. We knew these court filings were coming. We obviously did not know that they were going to expand their position in this Texas case. But as you noted, this was sort of a timing gift to Democrats in the House who were already going to introduce this health care bill on Tuesday. This bill looks to shore up the Affordable Care Act and make the Affordable Care Act more generous. So it would expand the size of those tax credits that we were talking about earlier that help people. That would get people insurance. in the individual exchanges who mm -hmm. aren't buying insurance to buy it. The government would subsidize it more. Yes. So it would not only make those subsidies more generous, but it would um, increase who's eligible for them. So it would raise that threshold. Um, it would also seeks to um, shore up protections for pre-existing conditions by targeting a couple of actions that the Trump administration has taken to offer um, insurance plans that don't have to necessarily cover pre-existing conditions by reversing those actions. And then it would also provide more money um, for different types of things in the healthcare system. So the Navigator program, for example, the administration um, cut off some funding that the Obama administration had given to that program. And that's a program that would uh, helps people sign up for health insurance. Um, so it would restore that funding. It would restore funding for um, outreach and advertising for open enrollment come the time of year when people are signing up for health insurance under Obamacare. And then it would provide funding for reinsurance programs, which help states cover the highest cost individuals in an effort to lower premiums. But it wouldn't require those states who haven't expanded Medicaid to do so? It would not. Um, obviously, the Supreme Court ruled that the government can't require states to do that. Um, so I don't think Congress is going to take that up. It doesn't appear just yet to try to pass a law on that. So it issue. would leave a fair bit, of, fair number of people still without insurance. Yes. And and does it have a greater chance of enactment than Medicare for all? Today, no, not under the split Congress that we obviously have this year. In general, I do think that you're going to see more Democrats supporting this type of plan than Medicare for all, if only because almost all the Democrats who support Medicare for all, ex with the exception of per reporting that I've seen this week, Senator Bernie Sanders, do support shoring up Obamacare force at first. I talked to Representative Jayapal this week, and she said, absolutely, we can pursue strengthening Obamacare and also pursue Medicare for all. But the Republicans aren't going to vote for it. Correct. <laughs> all right, Mel, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. And thank all of you for joining us. And a special thank you to our producers today, Thomas McKinless and Jeannie Hernandez. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, NPR One, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find it at rollcall.com. And please rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, visit rollcall.com or find us on Twitter at CQNow or at rollcall. 